Thanks for tuning into the Texas Family Law Podcast, where we provide you tips and insight to help you navigate divorce and child custody situations. This is Brian Walters. And I'm Jake Gilbreth. We are the managing partners at Walters Gilbreth PLLC with offices in Houston, Austin, and Dallas. And we're both board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Your hosts are broadcasting from the Lone Star State of Texas, where both have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates, both inside and outside the courtroom. So this week, I was working on this weekend doing some blogging uh, on this topic, and we wanted to do a podcast on having going through a divorce or child custody situation when there's special needs children involved, either one or multiple children of the family that have a special needs and how we address that in family court. So when we talk about children with special needs, it can obviously be a, a wide range of topics and issues that we deal with and ranges. I know we've represented people with children ranging from a food and nut allergy all the way to somebody that has muscular dystrophy or uh, a child with Down syndrome. Obviously, I had lots of children with uh, dyslexia, learning differences, autism spectrum disorder. Sometimes you have children with behavioral issues or like a bipolar disorder, ODD, anxiety disorders, stuff like that. Obviously, this is something that's going to have to be addressed in a child custody order, be that just a standalone child custody order or if you're going through a divorce with children. Those are the types of things that we we're dealing with. Every single case is unique, just like every single child is unique. Every single special needs is unique. It's a challenge, obviously, you hear that from our clients. Personally speaking, I have a child who's on the autism spectrum disorder and me and his mom are divorced. And I spend a lot of time talking to my clients about sort of my own personal experience and how my divorce decree comes into play when we're raising my child with, with my co-parent, with his mom, and issues that could possibly come up and issues that I personally had to deal with. And then obviously talking to clients about things I've seen in my cases, see courts do when folks can't agree on how to raise a special needs child. So, you know, raising a special needs child is a challenge in and of itself. It's certainly a blessing, but it's, it can pre- present quite a bit of challenges, particularly when you're talking about two households. So I guess sort of starting off with the first topic on it is how does how the interplay of a special needs child and just overall custody situation? If the parents can't agree where the child is primarily, uh, how does that affect the custody situation? Brian, have you ever had, uh, so I assume you have, but I guess talk to us about when you have parents that are going through a custody fight and there's a child with special needs and how does that play into court or jury's decision as far as where a child lives with primarily? And then we'll talk about other conservatorship issues. Yeah, I think it adds another layer of complexity and difficulty to an already difficult situation because if there weren't those issues, it might be a more straightforward or predictable outcome. And when there are those issues, I think it's a more complicated decision with more factors. There also can be, I think, more reasons for parents to disagree or to see things differently. There can be a different approach to or a different view of the severity of the problem. Uh, There can be a different view of how to treat or deal with the disability, and uh, that can just add a further layer of conflict on top of complexity, which are the two two biggest problems or two biggest things to drive difficult cases, and then that just adds to both of them. Yeah, I think that's right. The most unfortunate situations, you 
what you hope is that if a child has a diagnosis and has special needs, what you hope is that the parents are at least somewhat on the same page about how to how to address the special needs. And even if they can't agree with where a child lives with primarily, they're both listening to doctors or professionals and, and addressing the child's needs. That's unfortunate. There are times where you have a dispute about whether or not a child has special needs or the severity of it, like you were saying. And I think that certainly comes into play when a court determines uh, who has the right to, to have custody of the child. Uh, it could get it could be a minor disagreement. You know, one parent thinks my child has the special needs, but I, I think the reaction from the other parent is too extreme. I think the intervention that, that he or she wants is too extreme, or I think he or she's doing above and beyond what the doctors want or the professionals want. To the other extreme, of uh, uh, to, to extreme examples, we have one parent that says, "I don't think my child has that that special needs." You have one parent that says, "I think my child is ADHD," and the other parent says, "I, I don't think that's right." I've had a more extreme than that. I, I always remember one of the first cases I dealt with as a as an associate right out of law school was parents disagreeing about whether or not the child was on was uh, bipolar, and the child was actually bipolar uh, one and was seeing a psychiatrist and had actually been inpatient. And yeah, as a lawyer right out of law school, I had no idea that parents could disagree about whether a child has a diagnosis when there's a doctor saying the child has the, the, the diagnosis. But we represented mom and sure enough, dad came in and sued her for custody and said, I think the psychiatrist is wrong. I think the inpatient people are wrong. I think the diagnosis is wrong. I think there's nothing wrong with my child. And so judge, you should give me custody because I'm not going to, I'm going to take him out of all this treatment, which the court obviously didn't do. The court listened to the professionals. That's to tell a war story. That's the, I was working with Jim Piper, who I worked on as his associate. Jim's actually our of counsel now, but Jim had asked, asked the father, do you, do you disagree with the doctor's diagnosis? And the dad said, yes, I disagree with the doctor's diagnosis. Okay. What is the doctor's diagnosis? I don't know. Okay, so you're telling me you disagree with a psychiatrist diagnosis and you don't even know what it is? Yeah, that's right. That's obviously an extreme example. That father also boxed the question of what grade is your child in, which turned out to be an unexpected trick question that he wasn't able to answer. But those are the extreme. Of course, you have the other extreme. I've had cases where I mean, these are really sad situations where you have a parent that thinks their child has a special need and the doctors are saying, no, this child does not. That you have a parent that claims for whatever reason probably mental health issue on the parents' own, own part, but claims all these issues that all the professionals are saying aren't there. That obviously creates a big situation too, and the court can look at that when determining custody. Uh, but let's go on and talk about conser- other conservatorship issues. If you remember from other podcasts, when we talk about custody, we're talking about really a conservatorship right, that's the right to determine the primary residence. Uh, there's other conservatorship issues that come up with the child with special needs. So Brian, what are the what are the most common conservatorship issues that you see that come up when dealing with a special needs child? Yeah, it depends on what the special need is, but if it's in going to involve mental health professionals, for example, then those rights related to making decisions about mental health professionals is uh, going to be key about who, who their psychologist or psychiatrist or counselor is. That's an important decision because you don't want the, the child being bounced between two or three different people that we're going to give different treatment or different recommendations. If it's a type of physical disability that involves more along the lines of physician treatment, then those decisions would be important as well. And then if it's a 
landscape. One that involves um, the need for some type of different educational approach or, or schooling or that type of thing, then those conservatorship decisions related to education are going to be important to make, to decide who's going to make those decisions or if there's a disagreement, how those disagreements are going to be resolved. Yeah, I think that's right. I think people, you know, picking up on that educational one, I think people forget when they think about the right to make educational decisions, which is a conservatorship right that's in section 153, 132 of the family code. But that's, people think that's just the picking school. And you got to remember that there's a lot more educational decisions that can be made if a particular with a child with special needs. So if you have a child with learning dis- differences, dyslexia or ADHD, that child may need a 504 education plan. And that would be a decision that's, that needs to be made by the parents. So that's actually an educational decision. And the 504 plan is, is uh, not enough accommodations. The child may have an individual education plan. And again, this could range from issues with food and nut allergies all the way to learning differences, to behavioral differences. That's if the child's in public school, then that's something that a child, a parent with a special needs is going to deal with. And if parents are ordered to make joint decisions and one parent says, I think my child needs 504 accommodations and the school's recommending 504 accommodations or an IEP, that's actually something that is a conservatorship decision, an educational decision, and the parents would, in theory, have to agree on it, and a parent could veto it if they really, if the court order says that they have to make joint decisions. Now, they, you may be able to, if you have a divorce decree that says you have to make joint decisions with the other parent, and the school says the child is a 504 plan, and the uh, parent, other parent says no, and relies on the divorce decree or custody order, then that's going to result in probably a modification suit uh, being filed to reallocate those conservatorship rights. And then, yeah, like you say, Brian, there's some other ones that when we talk about medical appointments and non-invasive medical decisions, access to medical records, the right to consult with a doctor or a psychologist, those are conservatorship rights that are generally speaking in 99 out of 100 cases, those types of things that are just both parents have the right to do them. But I have had extreme circumstances where, because the court does have the right to limit that. I had limited circumstances and extreme circumstances where a judge has gone and said, you know what, you're so obstructionist parent that you're not going to be allowed to go even to the doctor's appointments, that you're not even going to be allowed to make non-invasive medical decisions, routine medical decisions. And in the extreme cases, I've some, doc, some judges said, you're not even allowed to talk to the doctors. You can get the information or you can get the information from the other parent, but you're so obstructionist, I'm not even going to let you talk to the other, to the uh, professional. And those are extreme situations, but you do have some parents that are extremely obstructionist with professionals or combative, and a judge comes in and says, you, you can't even talk to these people. It's just, it's going to be too detrimental to this child um, if you mess up the treatment. And if you have a parent that's gone and gone and driven every single professional nuts and they all threaten to quit, then you can see a judge get involved for that. And I think the most common topic is child support. So how does special needs of a child affect child support, Brian? Yeah, it's one of the the few times when courts deviate in in the real world from the the guidelines that they have, specifically the, the calculation the paying parents obligation, which is usually simply math in Texas, very clearly laid out. And it typically ends at the time a child is either uh, 18 or graduates from high school. Those are usually really set in stone and, and nothing 
nothing is going to be debatable or changeable about those, but both of those factors, both the amount and the uh, length of time can be affected. And with the amount, the court can reallocate those expenses. Now, sometimes those expenses come out of the way the health insurance and the uninsured expenses are managed or paid, which is uh, certainly a form of child support, but the court, rather than doing a typical, let's say a 50-50 split on uninsured, if the court thinks there's going to be a lot of that related to treatment, then the court might allocate it 75-25 or 100-0 or something like that. But on top of that, the court can then allocate additional requirements for whether that means special schooling or additional counseling or additional treatment that's not going to be covered by insurance. And that can be a substantial amount. That can be a really large amount in certain circumstances. And this is one of the few times that happens. And that's also some, those numbers uh, can change over time. So you might see multiple attempts to modify uh, those amounts over time. And related to time is that may not end when the child turns 18 or graduates from high school because these child's disabilities or challenges may extend into adulthood and require, you know, essentially lifetime care or certainly care for a certain period of time. And unlike the usual rule, uh, a parent can be on the hook for that. And that can cause a conflict too, because then something strange happens at that point, a lot of times, which is that the child falls out of the court's control as far as visitation goes. It could go into a guardianship type situation, but usually doesn't. And at least in most child support situations, the parent paying child support has also seen the child on a regular basis. And I guess they feel, you know, some buy-in or some result from that. But in this case, um, if the court doesn't control the child's time anymore because they're not a child, then they may still be paying support, which can be a particularly unpleasant feeling for certain parents in certain situations. So there's a lot of consequences financially for parents who have a child and go through the, the family court system. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, you know, it's, I think what you said is, is right, that it's, you try to set it uh, as best as you can when you have the original order, but a lot of times these things have changed because nobody really knows what a child's situation is going to look like as they get older um, and closer to adulthood. Uh, and I guess picking up on what you were saying about possession and access, we talked about this a little bit when talking about custody, or but just like the, the custody discussion when Determining possession and access, I think a judge is going to be looking at the same, same types of issues and same topics when deciding time between the households. If a, the state of possession or is the presumption, but just like in custody, if uh, you have a parent that isn't, isn't taking the situation seriously or, or taking a child to doctor's appointments or treatment, treating professionals or vice versa, taking them when they're not needed to go, then a court will adjust that with possession and access and can deal with that and and limit a parent's possession access to a child if uh, he or she is not adequately approaching uh, or dealing with the, the special needs issues. And then finally, I think something that people forget about is that the court also has the ability to enter injunctive relief. We talk about conservatorship, possession access, support, and then finally there's injunctive relief that the court can do. And I've seen judges do injunctions or specific orders to deal with special needs of a child. For example, if a child has food allergies, like a nut allergy, then a, and one parent, for whatever reason, doesn't listen to the professionals on it. You could see a judge enter orders that say you're actually um, court-ordered to not expose your child to certain um, certain foods, and you're court-ordered to take these certain certain uh, precautions. If you have a child on medication and, and a parent 
isn't complying with the child's medication requirements, then you could see a judge order the parent that you're ordered to give this child this medication during your periods of possession, or you're ordered to take this child to these medical appointments. That also come up quite a bit when you have a child with special needs. I guess to wrap up, overall, these are difficult cases. There's a lot of things that you have to think of, think about as a parent raising a special needs child, and that's just I think compounded when you're going through a custody situation. So it's important to find a lawyer that has experience of this. It's unfortunate when we have folks come to us that have a court order in place that doesn't adequately address their child's needs, or uh, you can tell nobody was really thinking through what was going to happen, or that we've been hiring and cases been handled by a different law firm so far, and, and they're coming in and nobody's really thought through how we're going to address these various issues that can come up with a child's life. It's a challenge, just like raising a special needs child, it's a challenge to, to do these cases, but it's also a blessing. Being able to see the difference that we can make in, in a child's life and just a little bit of interaction that we have or interplay that we have with the, with the uh, raising of a special needs child is, is really unique and it's special. And like I said, it's challenging, but I really enjoy getting involved in these cases because you, you really can make a difference in, in a family's life. So. That's a very broad look at the topic. I think you'd agree, Brian, that there's a lot more stuff that we could talk about, a lot more detail, but that's a good broad stroke. And obviously we've, we've blogged about it, talk about it more with our clients. I think that's a good overview. Don't you agree? I agree. It is, a, it is quite a complex issue. Let's wrap up with that uh, for this week, and we will be back next week.